Isaiah 57 is where we're going to be, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles there again if you closed them. Let me pray and seek the Lord's help one more time. Father, we come before you this morning and we want to acknowledge that it's your goodness and your mercy which, which follows us all the days of our lives and has delivered us safely to this moment where we are at church, albeit in a high school auditorium, um, turning it into a sanctuary where your praises are being sung. We want to acknowledge that it's your love which leads us down paths of obedience and next to um, green pastures and, and streams of cool and clear and quiet waters. For these next few minutes, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us with a couple of things. First, the ability to be attentive to your word. And second, that you would hide me behind the cross and make this a time where your Holy Spirit speaks to us because we so desperately need to be encouraged and so desperately need to be reminded of these truths. We pray for this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Isaiah 57 begins... The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. The ever-increasing, in my opinion, absence of men who stand for what is right the ever-increasing absence of men who stand for what is right should serve as a warning to our culture, but what I have noticed is that, in fact, it just emboldens them to evil, to do what is wrong. Throughout history, and especially if you study the Bible, what you see is that the lack of a true prophet, the lack of leaders who fear God, who speak the truth, that absence is always a sign of judgment. Always. It's always a sign that God is removing restraint and allowing evil to prosper. Those who are in Christ, those of us who are his people, when we die, we are removed from the tragedy and the crisis and the difficulty of this world, of this life. So it's good for us. This is why Paul said to be absent absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't know which to choose, to be with you or to go on. And any man who loves Jesus and is a father and a husband knows exactly what Paul is talking about. I want to remain because I know it's to the benefit of my family. But if he takes me, I'm not going to be like up there going, why did you take me from that horror show, God? Right? So that's how this opens. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. He goes on, verse 3. You, draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. So what what this is, is a not all that broad um, address that's given to the world in these categories the offspring of those who engage in sorcery or in New Testament terms, pharmacology, and then 
the offspring of those who engage in adultery and sexual immorality. So when God wants to address all of sinful humanity in negative terms, this is how he chooses to do it through the prophet Isaiah. This does not mean that if you're not the offspring of a sorcerer, or you're not the result of some immorality on the part of your parents, that you are um, preserved from this. This isn't it, it doesn't not apply to you. It most certainly applies to all of us apart from Christ. Whom are you mocking? Verse 4. Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? So in verse 4, God begins asking questions of the world of lost people everywhere. This, it's it, it, like you have this in your lap or you have this in your lap, right? Because these things are still true and still have application. Don't read this and think, whew, boy, the people in Isaiah's time really needed to hear it. This is for you and for me, especially if we're outside of Jesus. God asking questions is something we should probably pay attention to, amen? Because he's not not asking because he needs information. He's asking because he's going to make a point. He's going to tell us something about ourselves. Who are you mocking? And the answer would be the world of lost men is mocking the children and people of God because we claim to have life and yet we die. So what you can imagine is instead of recognizing that the passing away of the people of God being a sign of judgment, instead of recognizing that, they see it as some kind of proof. (laughs) The Christian is dead, but I'm still alive. Verse 5, right through 11. What are you doing? That's the question. And he asks it and answers it nine different ways. First, you're mocking the people of God. Second, committing sexual immorality. That's burning with lust among the oaks. Beneath a resplendent tree. Murdering the natural outcome of that lust. Slaughter your children in the valleys. Worshiping the false gods of immorality. Have you all seen the women's march? Or how about a pride parade? And people take their kids to these things. And celebrate the absolute debasing of humanity's natural design. They worship the false gods of immorality in the valleys, worshiping rocks and bringing offerings to false gods, on the hilltops, sacrificing to demons, which is poetic language, meaning some of their evil they do in secret, some of they do in public where everybody can see. It's both. Halfway through verse 6, God interjects a different kind of question. It's a question about what we want. 
Shall I relent for these things? Do you see it? You want me to stop caring? You want me to ease up? You want me to just allow this evil in the valley on a high and lofty mountain behind the door? You've gone up. You've made your bed broad to accommodate many occupants. And you want me to just relent? Do you want me to just turn a blind eye? You want me to pretend it's not happening? You want me to just allow it? You set your eyes on nakedness and you want me, says God, to just be okay with it. You want me to think about this thing the same way you think about this thing. Ah, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, it doesn't matter that much. Oh, it doesn't affect me. He goes on in verse 9. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. This is going to great lengths to gain the approval of those who are in power. Verse 10. It's not funny, but it's kind of funny, right? You were wearied with the length of your way, but you didn't say it's hopeless. Like you got... You got tired while you were sinning, but you didn't give up. You buckled down and kept at it. Found renewed strength for it. Boy, that's, that certainly describes our society, doesn't it? And then nine, the, the, the last thing in verse 11. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and didn't remember me and did not lay it to heart? Lying is the hard shell around all the wickedness. It's, it, it's, it's all got to be wrapped in deceit or evil doesn't work. If we're honest about what's going on, it, we can't probably bring ourselves to do as much of it. So we have to lie. We have to deceive. We have to conceal. We have to engage in all kinds of mental machinations that lead us to the place where as a society we've got new words like bipolar disorder and narcissistic personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. All of which emanate from the fact that humanity as a whole is constantly engaged in self-deception and other deception so that we can enjoy our sin without being held to account. I'll give you an example of the kind of deception that I'm talking about. Why is it that nobody wants to say this out loud? Including me. I'm not, I'm not going to go to work and say this tomorrow. right? I'll say it here. That's not true. I have said this at work, but not like from a podium in front of everybody. Peace. Do you want to know why there are so many cases of transgenderism amongst our late elementary school, junior high, and high school kids? Because 10 to 18-year-olds are more desperate for approval of their own personhood than they will be at almost any other age. And if you want approval in an evil society, you have to stand out. You have to be unique. So there's this mind virus that is sweeping through kids in our culture, in our country, in Springfield, Nebraska, where children have decided that, well, if I get positive attention for it, I will adopt the persona of somebody of the opposite gender because everybody in my culture encourages that. 
And it's a lie. Where's the one who will tell the truth? We shut up, pretend it's all fine, paint the evil with virtue's colors so we can applaud it, wrap everything in lies. And to all these descriptions of evil which God has outlined, our culture will respond with something along the lines of, oh, come, like, lighten up. We give to charity, we have orphanages, we have hospitals, we have homeless shelters, we have a welfare system. Like, you act like it's all bad. You Christians can't ever see the good that we're doing. Well, don't worry. God sees it. Look at verse 12. I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, and they will not profit you. P-R-O-F-I-T. All the righteousness that humanity stumbles into actually doing is not going to gain them anything. Oof, right? But let's remember where we are. We're at church. So let's take the lens off of culture and look in the mirror for just a moment. I think we suffer from being overwhelmed, don't we? We look at the chaos and insanity of our culture, and if you're anything like me, and I suspect all of you are something like me, we kind of don't even know where to begin. It's like if you don't do any regular maintenance on your vehicle for six, seven years, and then finally something breaks bad enough that it won't go anymore, and you take it to the mechanic, and he says, well, it's this, and 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 you're going, well, I can afford two of those eight things. Where do I begin? That's our society. It's overwhelming. There's so much calamity and so much noise. The clanging of sexual immorality, homosexuality, multiple genders, transgenderism, deception of all kinds, the racket seems to never cease. Sex outside of marriage has never been so popular. Well, except in Isaiah's time. And every other generation since. But we hear it. Clang, 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 right? And I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I don't, where, where do I even start? Do I even want to talk about this stuff with my kids? Or do I just hope they don't notice it? Okay, they've noticed it. Now I have to come up with an explanation. I need to somehow equip them to deal with it where they can still go back to school and not get beat up for not encouraging all of their schoolmates to engage in the same evil. So the culture is corrupt, chaotic, and offers so many reasons to be overwhelmed. And what we want, I think, as the church, as the people of God, what we want is peace. Then, if we can be honest, we're like, oh, all right, so I need to not focus on what's going on in society around me. So we look at our own lives. We look at our own faithfulness to God and to what's been commanded. And suddenly we see shudderingly little reason for hope there either because it turns out the devil has your number too. You have your own evil, don't you? Look at 
You've made your own bed wide in some ways. Filled our houses, but our hearts are empty. And we're supposed to be the people of God. We're supposed to be in the fold. We're supposed to be the sheep. And there's not enough evidence to satisfy us because our own priorities oftentimes are a mess. Talk about idol worship, right? And I'm not... Pick any or all of the above. Netflix, social media, technology, pornography. When it, in the 90s, when I was in youth group and, and the teacher was trying to make real-world application about idolatry, honestly, I think it was a little tougher than it is now. We have so many distractions and so many things that our hearts can run after that it, it's like, it's a moment of emblematic shock when we actually stop and take account of spiritual things and pay attention to what God has commanded. Did you catch verse 8? Behind the door and the doorpost, you've set up your memorial. For deserting me, you've uncovered your bed. You've gone up to it. You've made it wide. You've made a covenant for yourself with them. You've loved their bed, and you've looked on nakedness. In private, under the cover of darkness, where nobody else can see. Sure, our society is a mess, but what about your own heart? Where nobody else looks. What are you like behind the doorpost? You claim to be a Christian. So from within and from without, the gongs of evil keep pounding away. Clang, 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 clang. And what we want is to go to church. And we're hoping for a little bit of encouragement. We're hoping for a little bit of revival of our heart and soul. We're hoping for a reprieve. And most of us, when we get here, this is always an upheaval. James has got us at the school auditorium now. Fog machines and disco balls will be here by March. Right? Small groups are starting in a month. Great. More work to do. Another thing I have to go to. Somebody always needs something. Nobody responded to my prayer request in the group chat with a little heart. I've counted. James always puts the praying hands or clapping hands or whatever they are on the prayer request, and he didn't put it on mine. I don't like these songs. Why doesn't anybody ever ask me to lunch? Why doesn't anybody ever want a fellowship? Brown bag Sundays are stupid. Why does the thing video have to move behind the words on the screen? Why can't it just be a picture or black? Like my soul. <laughs> the sermons stress me out or they make me feel bad or somebody brought their sick kid. And we're, we're at church, and the noise doesn't stop. And then our kids come home from school. Hey, my friend from the beginning of the year is gay now. Half my classmates, almost, claim to be the opposite gender of what their sexual organs would indicate. My boy teacher dresses like a girl now. The school has a club for homosexuals called the Rainbow Alliance, but you've got to get approval from the administration to have a Bible study there. Clang, clang, clang. We go to work, right? Well, you got to go to a DE&I 
thing instead of actually working and people who, who do almost nothing at work are getting promoted, but you don't ever want to say that out loud. Keep your faith to yourself unless it's in Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. Everyone has to get a vaccine that, that truth patriot Trump for emperor flat tax America first org said is just a microchip so Google can track you. Clang, clang, clang. We finally get some time off. And we go home, and we're going to relax. So we're going to watch a movie or a new TV show. And it's not germane to the story, but we need to know that this character is gay. And here they are making out with someone of the same sex. And you have to watch it. Watch it. Look at it. Clang, clang. We turn on the news. Murder. Child abuse. Political corruption. Someone stabbed a puppy. Trump's running again in 2024. Great. Recession. Disease is on the rise. Gas is at an all-time high. Well, they don't report that. The media is complicit in the cover-up. We go on the internet, sexual immorality, clang, clang, clang. Email reminder about bills you can barely pay, clang, clang, clang. Nobody cares about your social media posts. Your engagement is low, clang, clang, clang. We try to spend time with our families and the kids fight. The spouse is in a mood. Somebody won't shut up. Kids fight with the spouse who's in a mood. Now you're in a mood, clang, clang, clang. And so we go back to Netflix, Amazon, Snapchat, TikTok, Candy Crush, Facebook, whatever. Look at verse 13. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. Boy, doesn't that describe our efforts to escape the noise? Everything we turn to in hope of blocking out the chaos of our culture either adds to the volume or at least just fails entirely. Our idols don't fix anything. Listen, did Trump fix anything? No. Did Biden? No. But Hillary would have. No. Our idols don't fix anything. So then what are you doing? What, I'll bet I know, because it's probably the same thing I find myself doing. You're getting frustrated. You're getting angry about everything. You stomp around. You try to escape. You blame the government. You blame Hollywood. You blame Pfizer. You blame your parents. And you get all done blaming. Do you have peace? Clang, 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 clang. In verse 13, last part says, He who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Oh. And we just, <clears throat> we needed to be reminded again, refuge, refuge. So that's shelter, protection, safety, security, preservation, sanctuary, right? Refuge. I know, I know, there's no stained glass in here. He who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. There's no stained glass here. I know many of you preferred the last place. I know this doesn't feel normal. I know that you would just as soon go back to Locust Street. But as much as this isn't a church building, look around. 
Look around because this is sanctuary. This is refuge. This is safety. Like, breathe. It's going to be okay. One way or the other, it's going to be okay. This is our family. And I happen to think we need to make room for our family to get a little bit bigger. Because while, you know, we... We only need reminders that we should be taking refuge in God. The clanging culture around us needs to be taught to take refuge in him. I mean, let's keep going. Verse 14, it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. I told you all when we started last October, I'm not church growth guy. And that hasn't changed, but we're supposed to reach a lost and dying world with the only message of hope that actually exists. In the midst of the chaos and calamity, that is not going to happen if they don't have a place to come and hear the word of God preached. Prepare the way, remove every obstruction. The way is through his word. How are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? How will they hear the preacher if there's nowhere to park? And we've been beyond that point for six months. I mean, I get there early enough, I always have a place to park. What does his word say? What's his call? What is Jesus' call to the broken, overwhelmed soul trying to escape the clang, clang, clang of their own idolatry, wickedness, and evil and all the consequences of those things? What is Jesus' call to somebody who's trying to escape those things? Verse 15. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. God is out of reach, folks. God is out of reach. We cannot get to him. We can't build a tower that would reach him. We have been to the edge of our solar system and Voyager did not find God there. I understand. Just push the reformed down in you. God is everywhere. I know. You know what I mean. People can grope around in the darkness, and they do. In the midst of chaos and evil, they are not going to stumble across God. Creation testifies that He exists. The instinct of the fallen creature is to suppress that truth in unrighteousness. They're not going to grope around and maybe find him in the dark. They're going to find him because somebody who knows him proclaims the truth of the gospel to them. How much does the world around us stand no chance of finding God when he dwells in a high and holy place when we are evil and fallen creatures? The good news is, the biggest use of the word and anywhere in scripture occurs right here. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite 
and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That you? Because that's me. Let's talk about it. You know what contrite means? Like, yeah, you kind of know what it means, but it, could, could you give me five or six words that mean the same thing? How about this? Full of regret. I dwell in a high and holy place and with the one whose heart is full of regret. What? What? I dwell in a high and holy place and with the heart of the one who is overwhelmed because he or she has done things they cannot take back. And in the heart of those who have made messes too big to clean up. And with the heart that is remorseful and guilt-ridden and sin-sick and ashamed and afraid. That's what contrite and lowly of spirit means. And that's the heart that God abides with. Why does God condescend like this? Hint. It's in verse 15. It's the last few words there. Why does God condescend like this? Because he's lonely and he needs people. No. He condescends to dwell with the lowly to revive them. That's his goal. That's his mission. Let's keep going. 16. I will not contend forever. Nor will I always be angry for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made because of the iniquity of his unjust gain I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. This is a merciful God, is it not? You wonder why you're hurting? Like, oh, well, God's so merciful. Why am I in so much pain? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I stomping around? Why am I mad all the time? What, what is, if God is so good and kind and merciful, why am I so unhappy? Because probably you are being afflicted by your loving creator so that he can get your attention. You got to love this line. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. He's seen your ways, And he didn't turn away in disgust. Sometimes I think when people don't say something in response to a verse like that, one of two possibilities. You were raised to be silent in church or you think you're pretty wonderful. I hope it's the first one. God has seen your ways, and he did not turn away in disgust. Nineteen. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. 
Peace is the theme of our second Sunday of Advent, and and I hope that in spite of my lack of, you know, normal quantity of jokes, stories, historical tales, and personal anecdotes, that you can appreciate how important this theme is, how desperately we need peace for our own hearts and in our society. Don't miss this either, because you might be thinking, I made a profession of faith 40 years ago, and I've wandered into the clanging chaos so many times I've lost count of how many I have fought my way back. You might be thinking, I've never listened to a thing this idiot says on a Sunday morning, and I don't intend to start now, and I wish my parents would stop dragging me here week after week. You might be thinking Christianity is a myth. You might be thinking, man, I needed this reminder. I mean, I'm sure we've got the gamut in here. The offer of peace is to those who are near and to those who are far. But he will not contend forever. The offer is to everybody in earshot right this minute. Peace. That's the offer. To everyone who hears the clanging of our chaotic culture, listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, relatively speaking, The advent of Jesus Christ sounds like a whisper in the midst of the racket of a broken and dying world because he didn't crack the skies open and come on a white horse with a flaming sword in his mouth and a tattoo on his thigh like he's going to next time. He came as a baby. But there is, woven into this story, an offer. It's a multitude of angels. It's almost like the single angel appears to these shepherds and he's talking and all the other angels are like holding each other back and as soon as the angel that's talking to the shepherds gets it out this will be a sign for you you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger they can't hold back anymore and the whole army breaks out in sight and in song and they sing Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom, among those with whom he is pleased. Well, who's that? John 1.11. We are not all God's children. Look right at me. The uh, ecumenical movement would have you believe every human being created is a child of God. That is not biblical. Peace among those 
with whom he is pleased. Well, who's that? In John 1.11, the apostle writes, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Are those God's children? Those that rejected the Son of God? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. To those who did believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The clanging that you hear, our culture going mad, and all of your idols failing to distract you from the misery of it, is an invitation from God to the contrite, to the depressed, to the discouraged, to the lowly in spirit, to the guilty, to the remorseful, to the ashamed, fearful, sorrowful, filled with regret, exhausted, and heavy laden. The invitation is, come to me and I will give you rest. Not that stuff. Not that identity. Not that nonsense that the world has to offer. Not that TV show. Not that social media influencer. I will give you rest. But you've got to come to me. The clanging you hear is the sound of the Savior calling you to have peace. And one more thing. And this is important. We saw it in John 1. To all who did receive him. And we saw it in Luke 2, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And you can see a flash of it in Isaiah 57 as well, second half of verse 19. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Listen, there is no peace says my God, for the wicked. Well, I stand before you as the 42-year-old preacher who is wicked. And I found peace. I found refuge by having a broken and contrite heart before the one who makes all the rules and the one who made my heart. And slowly but surely, he's changed me over the course of years. It feels like eons just to make two or three steps in the direction of sanctification and purity and holiness, doesn't it? But he's changing me, bit by bit, little by little. And he keeps drawing me with cords of love in spite of the fact I keep pulling away, drifting off the path of obedience and sinning as though I had never met him. He offers peace. I have seen his ways, but I'll heal him. It's not up to me to save myself. It's up to the Lord. It's up to me to believe. So the invitation then to you is this. If you want to have peace in the midst of our world, you're only going to find it by believing in the person, Jesus Christ, and the work that he's done. The invitation is, believe. Trust him. 
Cry out to him. Lay your broken, messy heart before him and he will give you rest. Lay down that burden and take up your cross and follow him. You won't find peace anywhere else. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for the Christmas season and the powerful, regular reminders that we get that you came, why you came, We need help, Holy Spirit, to believe these things in such a way that we don't let them go. Believe them in such a way that we hold on to them into Monday and Tuesday and all through the week. Because left to ourselves, what we will do is leave here mildly entertained and go right back to chaos. Go right back behind the doorpost and do whatever it is that we were doing. But if you would grip our hearts, Jesus, then we would be truly changed forever. Pray that you would do that for every man, woman, and child in this room. We pray for it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.